Destroy! 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 Company! Destroy! 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 Company! Destroy! Destroy! Company! Destroy! Destroy! Company! Destroy! 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 Company! Hello listeners, welcome to another week of Ross Purdy Destroys Comedy. I am your host, Ross Purdy Destroys Comedy. And before we get to today's guest, I mean, maybe they can speak to this as a fellow podcaster, but I don't like starting this week's show on a very sour note. There is... Well, there's no way of saying this. Uh, there's an imposter out there. It's going around. Um, well, uh, let me just go to my iTunes for a second. Let me just go to my <laughs> iTunes for a second. And just let me read this uh, review. Five-star review, by the way. Five stars. Mm-hmm. Out of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's marked hilarious. Caps lock. All caps. Uh-oh. So this, this person obviously thinks this is hilarious. Let me read this for a second. Hilarious show. I never really know what to expect and neither do the guests, it seems, most of the time. Okay, that's a fair assessment. (laughs) Um, My host seems like he's in character, but then slips in and out to the point of disorientation. Mm -hmm. Fair enough, fair enough. A lot of guests can't make heads or tails of what to do on this show (laughs) or how to react to me. Uh, recommend if you like podcasts like Comedy Bang Bang and Hollywood Handbook. Okay, that's, uh, that's fair enough. Wow. I, I would say those podcasts are influences on this one. So that's a fair, fair mm-hmm. comparison. But who, who does it say it's by? Ross Purdy. <laughs> and, um, and this goes back. This goes back. There is an imposter out there. Okay, I don't. <laughs> Someone's out there trying to make me look pathetic and desperate, leaving five-star mm-hmm. reviews on iTunes for my own podcast. Uh, it, yeah, it's, kind, it's kind of the equivalent of kind of your mum always, like, commenting on everything, isn't it? Like, it's kind of that similar thing. Like, you're like, oh, cool, it's mum. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like to think of myself as kind of my own mum. Like, in a sense, I did raise myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a latchkey kid. I was raised by TV. Um, uh, so I don't know who this, well, there's no easy way of saying this. This fucker is out there reviewing my show under my name. Yeah. But it's like, it is a, like, if someone starts in trying to impersonate you, it doesn't that mean that you kind of have made it? Like, I mean, dude, if there's someone pretending to be Ross Purdy, even if they're like trying to lampoon you in this really weird way where they're giving you a fantastic review like it's a weird way to like sort of attack you like uh it's still like hey like you know as soon as someone starts impersonating you on the internet like i mean you've made it i suppose i suppose that's one way of looking at it Mm -hmm. that is one way but i just i mean what what else is there there's an imposter unless i'm like instead (laughs) of sleepwalking during the night i'm sleep reviewing just getting up and leaving reviews for myself. <laughs> well, I've, I've heard recently of people I know who sleep text and they're like, like fully having text discussions, like with muscle memory, 
Um, uh, and, and they're, they're setting up like, you know, dates and all sorts of shit. And then they're waking up in the morning and being like, what have I done? That sounds like the craziest shit ever. And I think you've got to ask yourself a question like, am I texting too much if I've got muscle memory in my sleep that I can text like that? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, I just wanted to get that out of the way at top. Not me, not me. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting up in the middle of the night writing mm -hmm. down great reviews for myself. I pretty much nail everything about this podcast and what I have set mm -hmm. out for it. Yeah. And, uh, I just don't think Joe Rogan has to deal with this shit. So why should I? <laughs> I saw that Joe Rogan was wearing like a Wu-Tang Clan shirt the other day and it really offended me. I was like, I know Wu-Tang Clan is like totally played out, but I'm also like, can you leave them out of this please? You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, he probably thought it said, like, dude hang gang or something like that. You have these dude hang gangs? Yeah. They're like yeah. gangs of dudes. They hang out. They do reps. Yeah. Maybe the RZA was there one day and he was just like, oh, Wu-Tang Clan. He doesn't seem like someone who liked the Wu-Tang Clan in 1995. I don't know. I'm just putting yeah. that out there. No. no way. He's, like, like, totally, like, coming to this later on, like, like a total poser. Joe Rogan. Bloody Rogan. And Bloody Rogan. Well, let me get the show underway. I need to introduce today's guest. Today's guest needs no introduction but well, this one. Yeah. Oh, let's do this. Yay. Today's guest is... is Wild, wild! Oh, crazy, crazy! Yes, we have. Hey, let's get that energy up! Woo! Yeah! Come on, come on! Just keep that that Bowie energy up. I mean, every day of my life, someone sings Gene Genie to me. That is one hundred percent a thing that happens. That or uh, Daydream Believer, uh, Daydream Believer. That that's that's what that's what I hear all the time. <laughs> what? Hmm? Daydream believer. Yeah, you know no, that, that was Gene Genie. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. But it's it's either Gene Genie or Daydream believer. You know, it's like either one of those is what like you know gets sung at me. If your name is Gene, which is what my name is. <laughs> Wait, have I been saying that song wrong this whole time? No. I've been saying daydream believer, but you're saying it's day gene believer. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish it was day gene believer. That would be no. It's wake up sleepy gene. Oh, what could it mean to a day? It could be now day gene believer. I love fucked up lyrics. How fun are fucked up lyrics? Like, um, it's great. Like, um, what people like choose to hear or decide that that's what they think they've heard i realized after a while that i just had a really shitty stereo in the 90s and that's like why i didn't know the detail of half of my favorite uh records you know but i remember my friend's mom uh you know that wham song wake me up before you you go go yeah uh, she thought the lyrics were wake me up before you go go don't leave me hanging on the line for jojo and I'm like, there's so many questions I have. Like, who is Jojo? Like, I don't know who Jojo is, you know, but hanging on, like, li on, on the line for Jojo is what she thought. 
Right, well, Jojo is the third WAM member. <laughs> it's it, Jojo is the third WAM member. Jojo is the third WAM member. You got uh, Andrew Richley, you got George Michael. Yep. Jojo. Jojo. He's like the one who just got out just before they broke. And now he's like spent his whole life being like the full Dave Mustaine of this situation, just being like, I could, I could have been in Wham, but now I'm just in Megadeth or whatever. I'm really just like mixing up things now. Like, you know, yeah, well, Jojo really is in Megadeth. <laughs> he's in Megadeth. He's kind of like their groupie now, but he's not an actual member of the band. He's a groupie. He gives Dave Mustaine so he was a, his copies. He was, so he was the third member of Wham, and then he joined Megadeth as a groupie. Yeah, because he thought, okay, all this singing, songwriting shit, this is too much for me, man. I'm going to mm-hmm. do something that's a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Giving people copies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is substantially easier. It is substantially easier. So how do you destroy comedy then? Well, how do I destroy comedy? Well, some people say we analyse it to death. Mm-hmm. We, we grab the comedy frog, we dissect it. We, mm-hmm. we dissect it with, like, a dynamite. Uh, we open it up, we stick the dynamite in there, it blows up. So mm-hmm. you, hear, you hear the saying, you dissect comedy, it's like dissecting a frog. It mm-hmm. dies. Well, mm-hmm. well, what is destruction other than just a form of dying, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, like, it could be also rebirth. You're, like, kind of blowing it up, like, to start something new, you know, if we look at things on the positive side, which is not what comedians do pretty much at any time. But, like, um, yeah. Like, destroy, baby. Like, I mean, well, uh, you know, you go on stage and they tell you that you're, you know, you're going to kill or, or you're going to die. Like, it's, it's, it's like, and bomb. It's kind of the same thing, <laughs> in a way. You're the murderer or the, the murdered. Right. Uh, comedy, comedy's like a war. <laughs> it's like a war. Um, and you have the surgeons who make the jokes, right? They perform... <laughs> The, the surgeries on the, the, the soldiers and then the last five minutes to show they get real serious at the end mm. yeah kind of like Blackadder goes forth you know yeah yeah <laughs> it's all like Baldrick bum jokes right up until like the last minute when they're like okay everyone let's get out that red poppy and you're like oh Jesus Christ <laughs> oh no they've all been murdered yeah um, the pathos I have controversially, yeah, I've been controversially been said by Colin Flaherty of Squirrel Comedy not to contain pathos. <laughs> no subtlety, no pathos. Wow. Wow. I mean, fair. <laughs> it's not necessary. I think the opening segment of this show was pathos. It was me reckoning with this uh, imposter who's out there trying to... I mean, you've done podcasts. I mean, you've never had someone leave a review for you and it's named uh, uh, Gene Lizza. Like, what? I haven't done this. No, no, I, I haven't ever had anyone pretend to be me. They have told us about our mediocrity on, like, various podcasts, but, I, no, I haven't had anyone being like, hey, I'm Gene. I'm, like, obsessed with Catfish, the, the TV show and, and documentary. And so just the idea that there could be someone out there pretending to be Ross Purdy, the comedian in Melbourne, is, like... It's really, like, that would be so awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if there was someone out there just being like, why are you pretending to be Ross Purdy? Wait, hold on. You've, you've reminded me of something. Mm-hmm. And this is a true fact. And this is not a show that has a lot of true facts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there is an actual Ross Purdy in America that's a church pastor. Right. The Reverend Ross Purdy. The Reverend Ross Purdy. I remember this because mm-hmm. I found this out and I did a show last year for the comedy festival where I killed God. So I mm-hmm. thought, let's get some controversy going. I'll email this Ross Purdy as someone mm-hmm. else telling them, hey, this is Ross Purdy in Australia who's like mocking religion. And wow. that's everything I do in the show. And he emailed me back saying, well, I hope this Ross Purdy finds salvation. Wow. You know, mocking the Lord is a, is a terrible thing. It was wow. a real hard thing to read this description of his act. And I was describing things that were happening in the show, like I kill God, but just before I kill God, I hump God to a, like a sexy love jam. By the way, God's played by a blow up doll with like a bad white wig mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I baptize a, a tumor baby with my urine after drinking holy water. Wow. I get an audience member to whack me in the face with a dildo draped around a crucifix. <laughs> Just stuff like that, you know? You like if hell exists, you're basically like, I want to go. You know, like you're just sort of like you're tempting, you're tempting the gods if they exist. But I'm all for like a blow up doll in a comedy show. Like I, you know, like I want there to be more blow up dolls in comedy shows. You know, less humping of stools and more humping of actual uh, blow up dolls. This was a male blow up doll too. It got had like a like a inflatable dick floating up. I freaking filleted that thing. That's nice. And That's most nice. comedians, they wouldn't do that because of like, oh, my sexuality, what does it mean? <laughs> fucking like sucking some dick. What's wrong with that, baby? Not, <laughs> not nothing, nothing, baby, nothing. <laughs> I, um, I've, I've recently been uh, watching, re-watching Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, and in the most recent season, there's a, a Dennis Fuckdoll uh, this this is a great addition to the cast. I think they should keep it permanently. Like they should be Dennis and then the fucked old Dennis. Like it's it's uh, there's just something so fun about a blow up doll. Well, you know that that fuck doll that went away and starred in AP Bio. That's why he's, <laughs> yeah. he's never come back. Yeah, I think he was there at the beginning and the end. Like I guess you know, um, you know he went to a show that I like less. But you know, hey. <laughs> Well, yeah, and it's a weird thing because that blow-up doll, that doll is teaching kids. So, yeah. and, and Pat Oswalt's like, well, this blow-up doll, I mean, this blow-up doll is in Harvard, so I got to keep this fuck doll happy. <laughs> he says that. He says, I got to keep this fuck doll happy. <laughs> it's like episode two. <laughs> yeah, the whole episode was him trying to keep the fuck doll happy. But since the fuck doll is pretty much inanimate, how do you keep something inanimate happy, Gene? I reckon if it's a fuck doll, you keep fucking it, you know, but um, or at least keeping it inflated, you know, like I, I think yeah, like, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever like slept over someone's house and they've given you like a blow up mattress and then like halfway through the night, like it all just kind of just like deflates very slowly. And then you're like this, it somehow like feels like a sad, like indictment of your whole life when you're just sort of lying like on a flat, like airless, like, blow up mattress so i feel like keeping a blow up doll blown up is pretty important right right 
Keeping mm-hmm. Glob doll inflated up, important. So says that. <laughs> so says Jean Genie. So says Jean Genie. It's one of my life, my life lessons. So um, yeah, destroying comedy, hey? Destroying it. Well, sometimes it's about me giving advice to people who are doing much better than me. Uh, right. Becoming managers of other comedians, other bands. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I wrote a book for James Masters. I wrote a <laughs> biopic for Ben Russell. Oh, Ben. Does Ben play all the characters? Yes. Yeah. He did one voice for one of the characters that made me very uncomfortable. Listen back to it. Episode one made me very yeah. uncomfortable. And he should get cancelled for it, I say. He says he wasn't doing like an old timey, like African, like American jazz singer voice, but that's what it sounded like to me. So I had him on my podcast and I I feel like he was like, just like, I I tried to to, do improv with him and it was like the worst improv of all time. Like, you know, I shouldn't be allowed. (laughs) I was trying to get him to like come in with different characters and I was like, this is, a basic train wreck. Like, you know, he's, he's on another level. He's pretty wild, like wildly talented. So advice to like, so did you give advice to, uh, to James Masters? Did you say like you give advice to him? Like, I, I wrote a book for him. I wrote a book. I wrote a book to him. I wrote a book right. called, uh, he James Masters of the universe. <laughs> so go back to that episode. I believe it's episode 27. Wow. Wow. Uh, wow. Jonathan Schuster dealt with my bass addiction. I got addicted to bass for a little bit there. Mm-hmm. This is actually just a clip show, Gene, and I'm just grabbing you along with me. And we're just going <laughs> to describe all the episodes. Clip shows were so like common. I used to, you know, I used to, when I used to watch Golden Girls, like in the late '80s and early '90s, we'd watch Golden Girls, then it'd be Family Matters. It was like this run of like shows, and maybe like. Uh, I can't remember the other one. Like, the clip show would come around. You'd be like, oh, boo. Oh, fuck, it's the clip show. And unless they did the clip show in a really smart way, you'd just be like, man, it's a fucking clip show. Not a clip show again. No, they need like all, they just need to do it like YouTube compilations, right? Like all the times, all the times Blanche got slut shamed or all yeah, the times Rose was going to do a St. Olaf story or all the times... Um, what's her name? Sophia starts talking about Sicily and mm-hmm. all this and that, and just B Arthur's like just her double take. Like her, that's the best thing about Golden Girls is B Arthur like looking and then turning away and then just looking again and having another look. Like that's she like that's all she that's what she does. Like it's just that look. Like you know she can just do that and you be like, you got this, B. You got this, Stan. <laughs> my ex-husband Stan uh, all the times where Dorothy was unnecessarily mean to people <laughs> just cutting him down but like it was funny but then you think about it and like well there was no real need for that reaction Dorothy what are you doing Dorothy is just like permanently uh, just had enough of her housemates like permanently in a permanent state of just like you, you people are the worst, you know. I, I, do, I do think that Rose would be pretty intolerable in real life. Like, if you had someone who's constantly arcing up with a story that would never leave, it's, it's, it's sort of like Cliff from Cheers or something. You're just like, oh, shit. <laughs> but there, 
But isn't that whole show just better all arcing up to tell a story? Yeah, I, 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 I guess they are all. Right, they all just got their own things. Yeah, yeah. They've got their own things. They've got I tell their... you, the use of the word slut is pretty impressive in that show. Like, you know, it, they throw slut around like, like it's nobody's business, like it's 1989, which it is, you know. Like, <laughs> it's just totally fine to have slut left, right and centre. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Just all the time, just, just, just slut shaming Blanche. I mean, Blanche is a strong, independent woman. She knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. She wants to fuck them dolls. Yeah, she wants to fuck them dolls. She wants to fuck... She, let, let's face it. She went out with any old type of man, like any old man. And then, like, she would just be like, all right, all right, let's go, you know? Meanwhile, Rose ended up having, like, a, 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 a boyfriend for a while who, who, was a, who was actually, like, his main, his main thing was that he was a cheapskate, you know? Like, so, like, she, she could have almost got out of that situation, really, like, you know. But then they moved on to Golden Palace. So, like, you know, so what, you know, once B. Arthur left, I don't know if you've seen Golden Palace. It's where they run, like, a, um, the three of them run a hotel. So, basically, Dorothy abandons her elderly mother <laughs> who goes and works at a hotel. <laughs> it's just like, what is happening? See, Golden Palace would be a good show if the Golden Girls hadn't existed. Right. It's a, one of those, well, <clears throat> we want to keep these characters going. <laughs> if we don't want to do Golden Girls, what can we just slap him into? We can't put him in the yeah. middle of a war. No. They run but you, a hotel. Can, you can add Don Cheadle, you know, a young Don Cheadle is in that, in that show. And also uh, Cheech Marin is in that show from Cheech and Chong fame. Wow. So, I mean, it's got all the elements of like everything you'd want in an early 90s sitcom, but, uh, you know, zero charm, you know. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah. Really? So Cheech Marin, he's just smoking dupes all the time in the corner of the hotel. Uh, Don Cheadle <laughs> is like a porn star, but he's trying to open up a stereo store. He really knows his <laughs> shit about stereos. Yeah, he's, he's just and he wears like sort of this really weird cowboy outfit like the whole time. It's really because like, he has to. He has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So says the. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so podcasting, podcasting, you're like, do you feel like, uh, it took me a while to call myself like a podcaster, like where I was just like, oh, I'm a podcaster, you know, like it, it took me like years where I was just like, oh, is, is this like a fucking thing? Like, you know, you just, you just fumble your way along and then all of a sudden you've done it for like a decade. It's fucking wild. Yeah. You just, you just say you are, you say you are, you keep saying it, keep saying it, Jane. Yeah, I know. I'm a that, podcaster. Say it. Yeah, I, I'm a podcaster. I'm totally You're a, a podcaster. podcaster. Yes. I'm a podcaster. I've got to fucking own this. I'm a podcaster. You've been doing a podcast for so fucking long, Jane. Jesus Christ. But yeah, I, yeah, you just got to own it. It's like, it's like when you're doing, doing stand-up and you're at all those open mics and stuff and, and, then, you, and then you've got to be all like, I'm a comedian and it just doesn't feel quite... <laughs> You're like, cool. <laughs> well, the thing about this uh, show business is, is that you got to act like you're hot shit. Yeah. Yep. You got to yep. act like hot shit. And that's either how you get noticed or mm. people just think you're way too confident for where, what level you are. 
Yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to have any confidence at any level. <laughs> Even if you get on stage and totally own it, they're just like, he hasn't paid his dues, you know. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I keep thinking about stand-up because, you know, I, I keep, I, I'm the type of person who does a bit of stand-up and works up a set and then just gets over it or get distracted by, like, some creative project that I'm doing or ban- managing bands or, you know, doing another podcast or whatever I'm doing. And, but I have been thinking about it recently, but I... You know, it's, it's just like, do you reckon, you know, like we've got all these really uh, excellent Melbourne-based comics, like, you know, who, who own, like, can't own the scene, you know. But, you know, it's like one of those things where you hear like someone like Chris Rock or like that say that like, if they haven't done stand-up for a while, they feel like they can't do it. So like, how are us in lockdown in Melbourne? <laughs> like, are people going to be coming out going, I don't know how to do stand-up anymore. This, this is fucked. Or they're going to realise they're just thinking too much about it. That's something that is just, when you really whittle it down to it's been up, just really stupid. <laughs> really stupid to take so seriously. There's so much of it is like, look at me. I want you to hear me. Look at me. Like so much of it. And it's, it's so weird because it's such a bizarrely vulnerable thing but the whole scene is like so suffocating it's just it's such a weird like combination of like things like you know and you're just like oh. <laughs> but I kept I kept thinking about stand-up recently yeah stand-up and it's like who who's gonna be able to do stand-up at the end of this like <laughs> well I think people should just stop going up on stage and saying stuff mm-hmm. like I'm from like a weird, quirky place. Mm-hmm. I became weird and quirky because of it. Mm-hmm. Give me an ABC show. <laughs> and say, I say, uh, just fucking eat a banana, put the banana peel on the ground, slip, get back yeah. up, hit your face with a freaking cream pie. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Dude. That's comedy. People falling over is like undeniably funny. If you see someone falling over in real life, even if they've hurt themselves, you go, ah! and then you're like, oh, you're all right. And then you find out they're all right. And then you're like, ah! you know, like it, it just never stops being uh, funny. And the other thing about that is like, uh, you know, like every motherfucker who does comedy is some quirky fucking idiot from some small shithole fucking places. <laughs> You know, like, uh, I, I, think, I think that's just kind of everyone, you know, in, in some ways, you know. Did you grow up in Melbourne? Are you a I, Melbourne boy? I fucking grew up on the streets, man. <laughs> fucking grew up on the streets. I hustled. I hustled. Mm-hmm. I flowed. I read man. I did it all, Gene. Man. I did it all. I sold, I sold a lot of, like, I sold dreams. Uh, mm-hmm. to the people. I, 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 I just went around from town to town. I never stayed at one place at once. I told you I was my own mother because I was a latchkey yeah. kid. I was raised by a TV and the TVs were like those department store TVs that would have out in the window. So I just watched multiple <laughs> TVs and all just had the same thing on at the same time. I love how you sort of like grew up in 1976 or something <laughs> like where not everyone has a tv or something <laughs> like, maybe you had one of those tvs that you see like in the, the bus stations in like in america where you can put like a quarter in them and you can watch for like 10 minutes like one of those ones it's like attached to like a, a chair or you've seen it's in midnight cowboy but like um you know that was i did life. i did i did i put a quarter in and guess what they showed midnight oh, okay. cowboy <laughs> 
ruined it. They showed you the end. They showed you the end. <laughs> yeah, the end credits. I'm like, okay, I now know who like was in it and who made it. I'll now want to see the, the product. Yeah. That was before all this. Yeah. And always, like those, 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 those things are pretty funny as well because you put it in and what if you just got like a, like just the ad break and then like, you know, like your, your time's up. I mean, that's some bullshit right there. Well, that, well, you know, they get paid for those ads and they get paid for those little quarters. So it's a hustle, yeah. man. It's a fucking hustle. And I don't, yeah, I don't that's care. That's what you know about. You know about it. Because I know. You, that, you've lived that life. You've lived the hustle life. You yeah. Know? Just, I, I lived the hustle. I lived the flow. I lived the red man. I lived it all. Yeah. Yeah. Under a bridge. <laughs> Under a bridge, you know, just doing some heroin, you know. Yeah. Like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I want to say. In when I say doing some heroin, I mean doing a favor for like a female protagonist. Because <laughs> when you think about it, all women are like female protagonists. They're heroes of their own story. Right. I was doing right. a favor by selling some dreams, selling some organs of my own. Uh, I have no kidneys no more. Uh, and just, you know. She ain't my baby. She ain't my baby mama, but I did some favors for her, paid her to raise her kid. Yeah. Wow. How many kids do you have now? Kidneys. <laughs> no kids. How many kids? Oh, I said, I said I'm not her baby mama. Not her baby. Oh, you're not her baby mama and you've got no kidneys. Right, right, right. Yes. So you're on a dialysis machine right now? It's quite yes. quiet. Yeah, it's so super quiet. I have it like on, <laughs> I have it on quiet. You can do that. <laughs> you can put a dialysis machine on a quiet mode now. Like, it's, quite, it's quite good. It's quite good service. Uh, you know, I worked in like cinemas for years and like, I can't tell you the shit that people used to try and like wheel into a cinema. And it, it, it would be like, like this one lady uh, would come in with like, a, 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 like an oxygen tank that it, it made like so much fucking noise. It was, it's fully like, Frank in blue velvet, like Dennis Hopper in blue velvet, that kind of vibe, like just on like a, on like a, uh, you know, a trolley. And then we had another lady uh, that used to wheel in. Oh, keep that for, keep that for, keep that for. Okay. Keep that for for a second. Are these, are these slams? Are these slams from the... Oh, the slams from the Gene Genie. Yes, go on. A woman tried bringing into... Yeah, well, you know, when I worked in art house cinema for years, like we had this woman who would regu- regularly wheel in like a full, she was like, I can't sit in chairs because I've got a spine, spinal issue. And so she would wheel in a full flatbed and want to like just put it in the aisle of, of the theatre and like lying, like, you know, sort of like flat down, like, uh, like she was in a hospital bed, you know, like uh, people are great. People are great. You know, um, we don't, we don't that, we'd have that shit all the time. Uh, that and like, you know, people would want to bring in dim sims. And I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. Seeing dim sims in a small theater. I mean, what are you even thinking? Come on. You're going to smell up the joint. You're, you're going sm- to fucking, fucking smell up the joint. This brings yeah. me to my next question. And mm-hmm. by next question, I mean, first, que- first and only question. <laughs> a podcast with very little questions and a lot of tangents sure. that mean nothing. Mm-hmm. So you brought the film, the Brie Larson film, Room to Australia. <laughs> the Academy Award winning uh, film. No, I uh, I did not. I was... What? No, I, I bought the worst film of all time called 
Yeah, Brie Larson's room. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, Brie Larson. That's your Brie subjective Larson. opinion. Uh, Brie Larson and uh, Greg Sestero was in this film and Tommy Wiseau was in this film. Uh, yeah, The the Room, The Room, uh, directed by Tommy Wiseau, like... um. Probably like about 12 years ago, I um, I started hanging out with some people who were like, you got to see this fucking insane film called The Room. And, you know, I like, I, I'd always like, I had like a, a weird relationship with bad, good cinema, good, bad cinema, cult cinema. Like, I like, I like that shit. I like schlock. I like exploitation. I like blah, blah, blah. But I've never seen anything quite like this, you know. And uh, so I was working uh, at a... Uh, a very well-known uh, inner-city uh, art house cinema here in Melbourne, and Chinese Man Theatre, right? Chinese Man Theatre, ground, grounds Chinese Man Theatre. That's right. Yes. Um, and <laughs> uh, I convinced my bosses that they didn't know what it was and they didn't understand what it was, but I said I think we should do this. And I, I organised street teams for like Melbourne and Sydney and Perth, and we did Q and As, and we got the room uh, to Australia, and it played non it's now played non-stop and played non-stop for like eight years straight uh uh and the that the cinema in question made heaps of money <laughs> and i didn't but like uh but um i did get to host like the, the the initial screenings and it was really fucking cool to like tap into something like that was just this underbelly of culture uh and those first like five screenings were psycho like it was such a fever pitch of excitement but we permanently damaged the screens at, at this cinema, like, you know, because we handed out, like, plastic spoons that people could throw at the screen. Just so we're clear, that's a terrible thing to do to cinema screens. And, like, <laughs> we did that. And then people started bringing their own spoons, which would be metal, and we'd be like, you can't throw metal spoons. And then one time, like, this guy did, like, a massive paper mache spoon that he then just, like, hauled, like, boom, 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 to the screen. Like, it, it was... It was wild and it went from being like this amazing cult experience uh for for, for a lot of people to the the people working at uh at the cinema in question um uh feeling like they wanted to kill this film <laughs> but you know it was just it was uh it was pretty chaotic for a while there it was it was it was cool to bring something like that to to melbourne and to see just how insane there's really the only sort of cinema at this, the regular screenings were in los angeles London and now Melbourne. Like, they're the only three places that have screened it. So, But we screened it way more than... Los Angeles would do this monthly screening that would be huge. And, and no, uh, fuck it, Nova would do, like, weekly screenings. <laughs> like, and it was, like, 300 people over two cinemas. Like, so 600 people sometimes were coming to see The Room on a Saturday night at, like, 11 o'clock at night. It was psycho. It was a, a very strange time. I'm glad you eventually did just say Nova because... People would have just deducted and just looked at the only cinema to play the room in Australia. <laughs> cinema, not, okay, that's what she was talking about. All right, then. There's no point. There's no point burying the lead there. Yeah, it's no point burying the lead. Uh, but, you know, like, you know, you also don't need to give a total advertisement to, like, you know, I mean, look, they're, 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 they're doing fine. They're, gonna be, they're, they're doing great. But, but, like, you know, it really did start, like, them having a cult program and, um, you know, trying out different things on those late sessions. And yeah, I, re I really enjoy film programming because you can, you, you can sort of, you can really see how you're like affecting culture. Like it really just, it's, it, there's something about cinema that's just so immediately and directly affects people as opposed to like, I think comedy, which is 
you know, a pretty slow burn or music, which is like, it's quite niche, you know, but like cinema is much broader, even like with a cult film like that. But I mean, I, I just had so crazy shit, like, you know, Greg Sestero and I were in contact um, who plays Mark in the room and I got him to like a make a video like for Melbourne, which is where he like threw this like a, this, this football that went around the globe and then it like landed in Australia and exploded and he was like, hey, I'm Greg Sestero and like, we, you know, all that sort of stuff was awesome and like sort of connecting with like these kids who've psychotically been watching The Room nonstop for, you know, years on end to see their nerdy thing like explode in front of them was pretty weird. And I will say, I will say this, uh, the advantages of cinema versus live entertainment, live comedy. If you fell asleep at a cinema, <laughs> the, entity, the, the, the film won't take that as an affront and, no, start, yell, and start yelling at you. Like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you fall asleep? I've had, a long, I've had a long day at the job, man. I, this is not meant to insult you. No! Yeah. Watch this! I, this is nearly 15 minutes I have. <laughs> I, I think, like, you'd, I'd see that a lot at comedy festival. Like, every now and then you'd see someone nodding off because there are these people who decide that they're going to see, like, three comedy shows a night every night for the entire, like, festival. And I just that, think, like, they that's get... That's so tiring. It's, they just get super burnt out. And you're like, dude, just see less shows, you know? <laughs> I've fucking done comedy festivals where I, I've done two shows a night. And after that, I'm like, I don't want to I fucking watch comedy now. Jeez, I'm going to bed. <laughs> ugh, ugh, you know? So you're not out at the, like, at the late night bar till like four in the morning. Like, I feel like my lack of alcoholism hasn't helped me in, in comedy. Like, I like a drink, but I'm not like a full booze hound. And I feel like if you like beers... You 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 make more friends. <laughs> Do you think there's something to be said about that? I think there's something to be said that you're probably just too emotionally intelligent to well, be friends with comedians. <laughs> they have to. We have to fucking get drunk and shit to make friends and shit. Why can't we just just do it sober? No, you can't look, do it sober, you. Look, look. I mean, the other the other set of people that's constantly around me is musicians, and let me tell you, it's exactly the same. It's so weird with musicians and comedians because there's this sort of inter like thing happening. I think like a lot of comedians want to be rock stars, and a lot of like musicians want to be comedians. Like, and only some make sense crossing over into those worlds. You know, occasionally you see a musician who's got enough charisma to be funny on stage, like and occasionally you'll get like a comedian who's got that kind of rock star level, but they, I feel like they want to be each other, but like, they're all, they're all alcoholics. That's the, yeah, they're all alcoholics. I've been yeah. trying to uh, make my comedy like the GGL in the comedy. So <laughs> you come see my shows. Uh, you might get sprayed <laughs> okay. with something. I've thrown an orange at, at someone. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I touched but, the twenty ton rider's shoulder, and now the comedy festival doesn't want anything to do with me. Oh, look! It's like you never know. Next year they might be desperate, so like you know, like you might be back on board. Um, what was what was your? Can you can you name your worst the worst gig you ever did? Can you can you actually remember it? Because yes, it was, it was it was it was a show. It was one of the it was one of the shows where I threw an orange. 
fantastic. It was in Ad- it was Adelaide Fringe opening night. It's my first oh, time. Jesus. It's my first time doing like a full hour Fringe festival show. Mm. Things mm. riding on this. I'm like, how do I fucking do this? How do I? Do this? Yeah. If I don't get this fucking right, they're fucking gonna kick me out of this industry, man. They're gonna fucking yeah. kick me out of this fucking industry if I don't do this right. Yeah. Oh shit. The, the venue has just set up today. Uh, it's Tuxedo Cat in Adelaide. I'm not going to bury the lead here. Uh, <laughs> the show had too long a title. Right. Poco Party Destructive Fun presented by Demente Grande Variety Hour. Oh, people are just... Too long. Just, yeah, I guess. I guess. They, they, and, you know, and there were only two people showed up to my opening night. Mm. And there were, it was an Adelaide, it was an advertiser reviewer from the advertiser, mm. the major mm. Adelaide newspaper, pretty much the equivalent to like our Herald Sun. Mm-hmm. So conservative writers, they were never going to like a show where I smeared fake semen on myself and threw an orange. Sure, sure. And their friend. Yeah. Also, I made uh, the guy be Jennifer Lawrence at one point. Yeah. <laughs> Did, she, did he have to trip over? Did he have to trip over accepting an Oscar? What, 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 I think what, it was around that time, just after that. Sure. And the sure. dude was, oh, no, oh, you fell down. So relatable, so relatable. People, how <laughs> celebrities falling down? Like, it was during, it was after that whole thing. Her as well, she's just like, hey, I'm just a normal person. And everyone's like, she's a normal person. You know, like, it's just like, whoa, you know, Hollywood standards are, are pretty ridiculous, you know. Um, yeah, I, yeah, but, but, but like Adelaide Fringe is like a fringe festival, whether it's Edinburgh or Adelaide or whatever, is a real fucking hustle. I mean, it is hard to get those bums on seats. Like it, it's 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 brutal. And like if something goes wrong in the lead up to Adelaide Fringe, it can just fuck your whole run. You know, like um, I went, uh, I was managing Sex on Toast, the iconic Melbourne band Sex on Toast, um, for a while there, and we decided we we're going to do Adelaide Fringe, and so we'd gotten allocated like a a venue and then it was at the time where like the the program was like key like you you needed to be printed in the program everyone was looking at the program the printed program the printed program this is like a while ago and um and then the venue closed down so out so we were in the program it's like printed that we're at this venue and then they put us in this other venue and then they were like oh we can't help you actually publicize that like you know that it's a new venue and it was just like this is a fucking disaster. And I think that's, I think, I think Adelaide Fringe can be a real like shit fuck situation for certain certain people depending on it. We were just like, whatever, we'll play. But like, it was, it was weird. We won't let it stop us play our music, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Musos are great like that. They'll, they, cause they've got like, it's not like comedy where you're just up there, like, you know, just like alone, like, you know, just like, this is all on me. They've got like the kind of band of brothers, you know, they they can look to each other and be like, how shit's this? And like, it's so like, it's just not the same. It's just like, let's play our rehearsed song that it doesn't matter how, you know, obviously the audience interaction is a lot for certain bands, but like, it's also like doesn't matter at the same time, so I'm so jealous. Like I get so jealous of, of how, how, seemingly easy it is. It's not easy to be a musician either, but you know, it's it's just it's just different. It's not easy being so drunk and getting queasy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. To say. That's right. I got two half star reviews in a row from the advertiser from Adelaide Fringe. Nice. 
nice. That's a nice feeling. That's a nice feeling. My issue with stand up uh, uh, was that I would either kill or bomb. And there was like no in between for me. Like every time I'd just be either the best or it's a nightmare, you know, like just every single time. Just be, and and the, the tumultuousness of that in comedy like drives me crazy. Like I, I'd just be like, oh God, can I just be sort of like mediocre? Like, <laughs> Oh, if you're mediocre, you might get more gigs, maybe. I don't know. Do you want For that, sure. Gene? Do you want that, Gene? <laughs> no. You no know what my worst, gig, my worst gig was opening for Neil Hamburger, which should have been like a dream gig for me because I've watched Neil Hamburger since I was a teenager. Uh, uh, but I wasn't ready and I wasn't, I just wasn't, like it just was bad like you know i mean it was sort of like i was opening for i was like the first you know it was just the first kind of 10, ten minutes of the show or whatever yeah. it didn't really matter but it, it, i felt like i was literally burning alive like on stage and i was just like cool i'm just in front of greg turkington and all these people that i really fucking like admire this is a terrible feeling yay for comedy yeah hey, hey. <laughs> i i did an interview with greg turkington on sin radio mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time ever doing an actual sincere, earnest interview. Because mm. he wouldn't put up with this half ironic, half insincere bullshit Fuck I'm no. giving you absolutely. right now. No, absolutely not. No. And, and how did it go? Oh, man. A freaking tank, man. Freaking you, tank. He, he's, like, he's like an exceptionally... Uh, like cool person like he's got great taste he's got great interests but he's tough you know and like he's 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 done it for so long like you know i don't i, I don't think he even really does podcasts anymore because he, he was saying to me a while ago that like in la there's just so many podcasts you could if you you just he's just like i spent all day like you know, just doing these fucking podcasts and paying parking and like, you know, like it's just free work, like constantly, you know, it's hard being, you know, especially if you're in Neil, the Neil Hamburger character, like, you know, being in characters that are different from me and Greg, but like that on cinema universe is like, like one of my favorite things that anyone's ever done what him and Tim Heidecker have done with on cinema. I like it better than even Tim and Eric or, or anything like it's, it's just so bizarre. I, it's just so weird. Uh, one of my favorite, yeah, the Oscar special last year where Greg Turkington dressed up as the Joker was just like the most fucked thing I've ever seen. It was fantastic. Oh, uh, he almost killed people, Gene. That was real, right? <laughs> like, it's not a comedy thing. He almost killed people with his car. He didn't turn off in a small enclosed studio. <laughs> They're just all just like getting high, like what the fuck's going on here? Yeah, that sounds about right. And the year before that freaking, what's his name? Raffy Taffy taking over? Oh, that's right. That's Raffy what I remember, it's a Raffy Taffy. <laughs> God. So when are they going to give you your ABC TV show? I don't know. I was going to say, when am I going to open up the Neil Hamburger and do it really badly? Yeah. Oh, look, like it's great. It's a great feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, like, I know, like when, I guess when we're allowed to like do stuff again, other than like zoom meetings, which is apparently like pretty much the only thing we can do at the moment, you know, uh, have you enjoyed lockdown at all? Or has it just been like lame? Oh man, it's gone up. It's gone down. It's gone down. It's yeah. gone up. It's gone up. It's gone down. It's tumultuous. Oh, 
Yeah, it's just, it really is up and down. It, it really is, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, like I just keep like, I just keep going, okay, I've got this more time. So I'll just, I just keep involving myself in like other people's projects. Like, but I just like, I'm like, that's why I like the band man doing band managing and producing people's stuff is also a part of what I do because like, I just, if I've got time, I just, I'm like, I just want to be involved, you know? And like, I'm like this, I'm this try hard muso, you know, like, so I'm just always trying to like be around musicians, but like comedy actually makes more sense. But I'm, I'm actually uh, working with this really weird uh, musician at the moment called electric self, you know, and um, he'll be, uh, putting out something later in the year I would say it's like if Prince and Ween like had like a, a bastard love child but then they abandoned it this would be electric self so it's funky and fucked up like at the same sure. time Ween and yeah. Prince together so pain <laughs> is it pain or preen <laughs> preen preen or weets yeah, Prince Wince, 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 Wince. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of fun. Like I feel like working with other people uh, is good. It makes you like think about your own shit a bit more. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, fuck. But it'd be nice to go out of the house. <laughs> it'll be nice to go out the house. So says the. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh boy. I managed yeah. to ban too, I think. Do I you? Returned, I haven't returned my calls since the, since the show, since the podcast, but protospasm. Protospasm. Oh, cool. Okay. All right. And so what are you going to do? What is your vision for this band? You know, like how are you going to work with these artists? You know, how are you well, going to nurture them? Well, you hear back episode seven. Of this podcast, mm. I try to prepare them to guest program rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's everyone's dream, really, to guest yeah. program rage. I told them, hey, you should guest program stuff people wouldn't expect, like a like a punk hardcore band. The program yeah. will make you seem more real. So I suggested yeah. nothing but Destiny's Child songs, right? Totally. Totally. Jumpin' Jumpin' is like an actual jam, you know? Yeah. I prefer Destiny's Child to Beyonce. I, I have to say, controversially, I don't really like Beyonce that much. Like, I don't really... Like, I think she's a hard worker, but I don't really warm to her songs. But those those early Destiny's Child songs, I don't know if I'm showing myself as a child of the 90s, but, like, Jumpin' oh, Jumpin'. Like, oh, oh, I am. <laughs> showing myself up for an old bitch that I am. Yeah. I'm an old bitch too. <laughs> what TV shows are you like uh, uh, smashing at the moment? Uh, oh, nothing, man. I'm just, I'm freaking hiding under the couch with a shotgun trying to make sure this coronavirus don't enter my house. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time for TV. But what, what's some Jean Genie TV recommendations? Well, I'm like obsessive with sitcoms and I've watched like so many, like it's crazy. And so um, I haven't been watching anything new recently, but I, I have been watching Malcolm in the Middle. Like, uh, and uh, that's a, a, an excellent television program. I'm uh, sorry, but is that okay in today's climate? I Malcolm he- in the Middle, you're not allowed <laughs> to be a centrist anymore. You've got to make a decision and it has to be left. 
There's and also, you know, honestly, in Malcolm in the Middle, it's generally speaking a very progressive show, but there's a couple of moments and it's just very reflective of the time where it's like just bizarrely like offhandedly racist for no reason. Like you're like, what the hell? Like, like there's one scene where Lois is saying something to the kids where they're acting like animals and she goes, what are you, Aborigines? And it's just like, whoa, whoa. this probably was okay in 1990-whatever-fuck, you know, but like it was, it was, there's a couple of moments like that. Um, yeah, so I'm watching that. I'm watching Cheers, the original show like set in a bar, so there's always Sunny in Philadelphia, like, you know, which is like the... The bastard love child of Cheers, but like, um, like yeah, watching a lot of Cheers. I don't know, what, oh, what else when I... you th- when you think about it, when you think about it, really, mm. Mac and Charlie are kind of the Sam and Diane of it's always sunny, <laughs> and that there's a lot of weird sort of physical violence between them. That like, whoa, okay, yeah, yeah. So would you say that like? Dennis is Ted Danson. He's Sam Malone, maybe. Like, I don't know. Because, like, because I reckon that maybe Mac and Charlie are Norman Cliff, you know? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then who's Sweet D? Is she Kirstie Alley or is she Shelley Long? Mm. She's, she's a mixture of both. I've, I've gotten to the point at, in Shears where, um, Kelsey Grammer, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Fraser Crane, has just entered the show. So the, Fa- the Fraser Crane universe has started now. Um, and this, this guy, they just, like, introduced the shit out of him. I didn't really remember. Like, they're just like, hello, here's a new character. He's, it's like they knew that later on there was going to be a show called Fraser. Like, it's fu- fucking crazy, you know. But, um, yeah. Fraser sure, really I mean, is the rickety cricket. Uh, rickety cricket in terms of like the 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 characters around the gang or that who are just outside the gang uh uh, rickety cricket is up there because like that's david hornsby who's like one of the executive producers and writers of the show but like he just like every season they're just like let's fuck up rickety cricket even more he went from like a a priest to just like this most fucked up drug addict homeless guy, like in this series, like in over a series of 10 years. Uh, so good. Rickety Cricket. I really love Bill Ponderosa as well. That's one, yeah. uh, one of my favorites. Bill Ponderosa just, just doesn't give a fuck. That's, he's a great actor as well. The McToyles, the, 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 the brothers, the weird, like, um, uh, yes. brothers that fuck each other. It's just the, and, the and, incest that, family. The incest. It is the amazing. Milk like, family. Yeah, and I guess Danny DeVito is Rhea Pelman because, like, they're married. So, like, you know, like... Whoa. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And okay. it's getting weirder. And if you think about it, like, so th- you know how they have that... They have that other character who used to be in the gang. What's his name? Crazy... I can't remember what they call him. But isn't that played by Jason Sudeikis, right? Yeah. Who is the nephew of George Vent who played Norm in Cheers. Whoa! Whoa. More like it's always Cheers in Philadelphia, am I right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to tell you, like- my, my subconscious is a genius. I, I quite <laughs> frankly, had a, a dream the other night about <laughs> It's Always Sunny, like a making up an It's Always Sunny episode where Rickety Cricket dies. Oh, my God. They find oh his body God. in a dumpster. 
Of course they did. But, and they and fi- feel like they had to put it on upon themselves to like make a funeral for him where like no one shows up. That, that, that really tracks. That just sounds like an episode of, of Sonny, you know? Uh, it's so, it's, I mean, they're just, they're, that's just crazy. That but, then, like, but then it also could have been that Ricky the Cricket just fell asleep in a dumpster because they go back later and they can't find it. They just make yeah, a funeral for like, him anyway. Like, oh, he seems like he stopped breathing or something like that. Because I think the, the dog Poppins, who's Mac's dog, they put in a rubbish bin, actually. That's a real episode. They put Poppins in a rubbish bin because they think he's dead. And then Mac's like, no, nah, he's good, and like pulls him out of the rubbish bin and he's alive, you know? Nothing will kill Poppins, apparently. So it's like a similar, it's a sim- similar idea. You're right on track. You should maybe just like write a, a fan episode, like a spec script, and just like send it to them and see what happens. Well, I reckon the trick also that's got how a fucked up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's how you enter showbiz, right? You just unsolicitedly just write episodes of TV and just send it to them. That, that, that's how you do it, right? Or you, or you tweet someone and go, hey, I want to write on the show. That, that's how you enter show business, right? Is that, is, that, is that how people get a job on Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell? Is that how, like, how, how, how do people get jobs in TV in Australia? Like, I keep trying to. Hmm? You know, I kept tweeting at Matt Selman, executive producer on The Simpsons, that mm-hmm. The Simpsons sucks now until he eventually just blocked me. That's nice. <laughs> but I've got a new, like, account now. So now I'm following him again. And you don't know the difference, oh. baby. Matt Selman, <laughs> I'm not going to come for you anymore because I'm older and wiser now. And, you know, I just turned the TV off. And Matt Selman, like, to be fair, is, like, a fantastic writer like you know he's, he's written great episodes it's just it's just a show that's gone on for 500 years like it's yeah I mean maybe I, I mean I don't know like I I do feel like I mean I don't watch it like I I mean I still like run home and be like there's a new fucking Simpsons on like in the 90s and stuff like that and like um it isn't the same like that anymore but every now and then I'll, I'll catch an episode just randomly it's not like I'm watching it like I'd watch other shows and I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's still got some shit going on. And it's, I mean, but it's, I think it's just a, a bit patchier, you know, like in, in terms of like the, the, you know, you don't get the, those absolutely killer episodes like, I don't know, Lisa's a Vegetarian or, you know, uh, all, the, all of those great ones. The pathos, the pathos. It's coming back, coming back around to what you starting, started with with this episode, the fucking pathos, you know. And that's what people miss from The Simpsons is, I think, is, is the heart. You know, it would always be wacky, but there'd be like that heart, you know? Like a little bit of heart. Like a little bit. Just, just enough. Just enough heart. Just a touch. Like even just the, touch. the David Merkin episode is wacky as they got. They still had time for a little bit of the heart. Yeah, yeah. But like even the, the, the most heartless show, like if we come back to Sunny in Philadelphia, like if you, if you start watching the show like enough you just start caring about the characters even if they're pieces of shit so like every every now and then i'm like oh poor mac and then i'm like what am i saying poor mac that's not dimensionalized the show enough where you almost kind of want to see them win even though in the back of your head it's better that they don't win and that they shouldn't win yeah because they're garbage people they're garbage people but they have this weird deranged charisma to them yeah, I don't know, it separates them from like other shows where it's like they're all terrible people. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it does. 
I, I think like that's what Seinfeld did. It just blew it out of the water. Like, cause they went, Hey, you know, like in sitcoms, you can hate everyone in the show and it's still funny, you know? And I think that's, you know, I think that affected comedy in like a really weird way. And it's for some, for some, it really worked and others you're just like, what is this weird, bizarrely snarky, like, like comedy that I'm watching, you know, it's like real like early two thousands, just really sort of like, unnecessarily snarky, snarky back and forth. I've got the wit of Juno, that, that film, you know, like that kind of yeah. bam, 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 bam. And then you, and you're just like, okay, now this needs a bit more pathos guys. You know, <laughs> fucking sitcoms. Fucking sitcoms. And then you get the fucking shows, sitcoms. fucking the fucking shows where it's like, they talk about like how they're in the show, but they're not talking about how they're in the show. And they just uh, dress each other down all the time. Yeah, and they get really meta and stuff. And but like at first, you want you want like I remember just being like so excited by meta shit, and then it just gets taken to this point, and then you're like, okay, well, not everything can be fucking meta, you know, like not every show, and and so then and then it just gets played out like like anything, like you know, comedy is currency, you know, it just it just has to it has to have that feeling of like, you know, sharpness and like in and vitality. Otherwise, it just it, it's just like. Nah, you know, and I think you just have to be really good to be snarky in a show and like meta and like all that shit. It has to be like on a, like Gary Shandling, Larry Sanders level of like good. Otherwise it's just kind of shit. Also, don't keep switching between I'm supposed to care about this and, and, oh wait, no, don't stop caring so much about this. Yeah. I'm actually writing yeah. an open letter to Dan Harmon about Rick and Morty right now. <laughs> it can be funny, but it can switch way too quickly between like, don't care about any of this. This is yeah. just silly fun. And then also, pathos. Rick, Rick actually has a sad moment. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> fuck Rick and fuck Morty. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I do think they do some sensational stuff. I do think Dan Harmon does have that that skill of of like you you see it in community. Like you can see how he he is able to just it to be just like so outrageously ridiculous, but then you're like, oh like you know, like you do care like about these dumb characters. Even Winger, who like Joel McHale is not supposed to be likable in this show, but even by the end you're like, I don't want him to, you know be the worst. <laughs> I want him Damn. to be better. I want him to be better. I want him to be better. Can he be a I better just, person? That's I boring. Just, I just want to wake up and just be hugging Joe McHale and be a, like the little spoon and he's big tall. I just want to be sucking his dick and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, Gene. No, no. Not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I mean... That guy does a heap of like sit-ups every day, so sit-ups, he, push-ups, push-forwards. Yeah, he, flashbacks, he, his body would be tight, tight, you know, tight as you're going down on him, tight, tight, so freaking tight, six-pack, yeah. six, tight and right. A nice little body's got there. Yeah, Ugh, this is getting gross, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but we're doing it to a guy, so it's okay, Gene. Apparently. And he's white, so whatever. He's a, <laughs> he's a white, he's a straight white male. It's fine for us to just treat him as nothing more than just a walking dong. Yeah, just a just piece a sex, of se- shit. <laughs> it's a hot hunk of sex meat. Yeah, yeah. 
just like the sex doll that we we talked talked about at the beginning, like just like the sex doll. Speaking of hot hunks of sex meat and fuck dolls, mm. what have you learned on your journey as stand up, as a podcaster, as a film program band manager, just all of it? What have you learned on your journey? <clears throat> I like honest, honestly, if I'm being real, like you, you know, you, uh, it's not that easy uh, going through this as a girl. And like, I know now, looking back, that I've really like uh, second guessed myself in a way that like you possibly wouldn't do if you were a guy because you just have this sort of internal confidence from just being a man. But one of the things is like, is just pushing through and and choosing things that you really genuinely give a shit about and are generally part of your niche and world. I think when you start to try and like cater yourself to, to something that's broader or you think that something's going to be more popular, it's what it is. Like the, for instance, the bands that I've always been associated with, like Umlaut is the brainchild of uh, Bear McKinnon, who was in Mr. Bungle. They're this, you know, Mr. Bungle with this, you know, niche cult band that I liked as a kid. And just one thing led to the other and I moved here and I accidentally became friends with him. And it's just like you double down on the things that you actually care about, you know, like, and that that will lead to good work and things that, you know, you, you've got to be wanting to do the things you want to do. I always see people starting podcasts and I'm like, do you care about that? Like, cause I like, it's so hard to have a popular podcast in Australia, you know? So you might as well do the thing that the very specific small little thing that you actually like to do, you should do, you know? And I think, I, I think that's, and, and also the other thing I've learned is that skills are totally interchangeable, you know, and the, the skills that you learn as a band manager can help you with your creative life. You know, you do feel like, like a band manager is like the most thankless job of all time. And like you do all this work and all this admin and all this shit, and then they get to go on stage and have fun. And you think, oh, fuck, you know, but like, it does actually teach you all this other stuff. And so that's the kind of thing is that everything mean something and it will help you in your life you know and but yeah just always being true to what you actually like and I've always liked weirdo shit like I mean I like mainstream stuff as well of course I've talked about cheers for fuck's sake but like I've always just been like I guess I'm just that kid who always liked Mr Bungle and if that's kind of like the kind of thing that's always in you know informed my life right I'm including all that in my open letter to Mr Harmon <laughs> Poor Mr. Harmon. He's just like, just trying to write this fucking show and everyone has got an opinion. I love lo- Trust me, trust me. He's looking for reasons to procrastinate, knowing that guy. So <laughs> Yes. Yes, indeed. Indeed. And how what have you learned on this journey on this podcast? Because this podcast I like to think is a journey. It, it is a journey. Um I, I feel like um I've learned that. Uh, you definitely would suck cock if the situation was like, you know, it it made it, you know, appeared in your life. I think there is a chance. I think that I'm more into blow up dolls than I actually knew. And I realize, I feel like that maybe the Dennis fuck doll and it's always sunny in Philadelphia has maybe lodged itself in my mind because we have spoken a lot about, Fuck dolls. I, I, I think it's, you know, I think I've learned a lot about myself, like as, uh, you know, that maybe I am still funny and maybe I still should do comedy because like every six months I'm like, maybe I should just produce someone's comedy show. That'll be easier, you know, like, but maybe, maybe I should just keep going. I just don't know. 
produce your own comedy show. Boom. 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 Always want to work, work with fun people, fun, weird people. There's not enough weird people. We don't have enough adult swim kind of-esque kind of world here in Australia. And I, I, I would really love to see that as well, just like, like the weirdos being given a shot as well. Speaking of giving weirdos a shot, leave this podcast a review on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. <laughs> um, I'm looking through some old stuff right now. Turns out I was sleep reviewing last night. I was sleep reviewing. I, was, uh, I reviewed my own podcast. Mm. I reviewed a, a restaurant on Yelp. I don't believe yep. I've even ever been to it. I mean, Mm. You ever heard of a McDonald's? <laughs> McDonald's, hey? Yeah, I think they're um, burgers. Burgers? I think they're burgers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, that sleep reviewing and texting uh, phenomenon, is, it's taking over the world. I mean, people are really confusing themselves in the morning. <laughs> I think it's a symptom of being trapped in your house. Symptom of being trapped in your house. Thank you for being on this podcast. Va- yeah, thank you. I loved destroying comedy with you, Ross Purdy. Ross Purdy, that's nice comedy.